have blessings to count, don't we, this morning? Trust you take time to do that, and uh, I appreciated uh, just this morning, again, taking that time of thanksgiving to the Lord to remember all the wonderful blessings he's poured out on me. Trust you take time as you spend that hour with God each morning to thank the Lord. Let's go to John chapter 12 this morning. John chapter number 12. I've been praying for the last uh, several weeks about what the Lord would have us look at this morning, and honestly, it was really a wrestling, and I told the Lord at one point, saying, Lord, I feel like I have something to give um, right now, and I had a particular passage that's been on my heart, just some things the Lord's doing in my heart, and I spent a lot of time working on that text, and just didn't seem like I was getting anywhere when it came to preparing a message. I was being blessed by truth, but <laughs> couldn't seem to pull the pieces together. And uh, the Lord very clearly directed to this. And I kind of argued a little bit with the Lord, said, Lord, they've heard this before. Uh, this is familiar truth. And the Lord said, well, you need to preach it anyway. And so we're going to look here at John chapter 12, I believe a particular angle here that the Lord's put on my heart that I think will be helpful for us as we think of these last several weeks of school. Uh, and then as you go into the summer, some of you are graduating in a few weeks, hopefully. Um, if you can make it through pastor's class or something, it's a hard one. And so, uh, so that's, it's all coming up, and I think in light of that, we now need to consider this truth as well. So John chapter number 12, and a very familiar passage here, verse number 24, John chapter 12. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die... It bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. I'd like to look this morning at backwards Christianity. Let's pray. Lord, would you guide us in this time? Holy Spirit, we need uh, your working in our midst. And so I invite you right now to come and to speak. Lord, speak through me. Holy Spirit, speak to each heart. Uh, give us hearts that are ready to receive from you. And Lord, we, we need you to meet with us in this time. So guide us. And Lord, I pray you'd use me right now. Make the truth of your word clear. Make the application clear. And we're just trusting you to work in this time. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Several months ago, uh, I received a prayer update, a prayer letter from a missionary that, that we receive things from time to time. And this was a missionary who has been on the field for several years and actually recently uh, came back from the field to, uh, and he's pastoring a church here in the States now, and God used him in a tremendous way on, on the mission field. Uh, but it's been quite an adjustment for their family, coming from a, a third world, more tropical situation to be back here in the U.S., but that's really not been the greatest adjustment. Uh, it was as they came back and were reporting to their churches they were a little bit shocked at what American Christianity was like. And uh, this was a letter they wrote, and uh, again, uh, in many ways, a very perceptive uh, view of what's happening. And I, I think helpful for us as we begin to just think about uh, where we're at, the world that we're ministering in. And uh, it starts out like a lot of missionary prayer letters when they come back uh, from their field and say, well, America has changed a lot 
And then a lot of times they'll go on and talk about how our culture has just declined so much. But he doesn't talk about how our culture has declined. He talks about how our churches have declined. What a different America we have come home to. It is amazing and shocking to see how far down we have gone, especially in the area of morality. There's a great departing from the faith with each generation. We have heard the heartbreak of parents whose children have walked away from the Lord, pastors who have fallen in sin, and churches that are struggling to keep their doors open. Many pastors feel that the commitment level of the members is generally apathetic. Many believers feel like their pastor's sermons are just rehashed old sermons without life and power. Then there's the strong shift to a contemporary Christianity where standards of any kind are being shucked as oppressive and new entertainment is being promoted to attract godless people to church and Christ. We've talked to many pastors who know of dozens of churches without pastors. Why is it we have more Bible colleges than ever before but less preachers? There are so many cities and towns that need churches, but what if we can't even fill the pulpits of the churches we already have? And then what about missions? It's now taking missionaries over three years to raise their support. We've heard that most missionaries are looking for six to $10,000 a month. Wow, they surely won't have to pray for anything when they get to the field. To suggest they go with less and trust God is considered irresponsible. The presentations they give must be high-tech and full-gloss in order to compete for the limited resources of our churches. What a different America we've come home to. In most churches, souls are rarely saved. Souls are rarely sought. Few tears are shed. Little of the Bible is studied or memorized. Sunday morning crowds are decent, but Sunday afternoon, midweek prayer and Bible study? No. American Christians are too busy pursuing the American dream. God, church, and ministry rank low. But I love his conclusion. Brothers and sisters, we were born for this generation. This is our time. Let us not accept the current status as the way it has to be. Let's turn to God, surrender to his will, engage in the battle, and be the bright and shining light to our generation. And I know talking to you as students of Baptist College of Ministry, that is, that's, that's your heart. And we look at the world around us, and, and we consider churches, and if you've traveled around to churches on Ensemble or with Dr. Jim or anything, you, you understand a little bit of what, uh, what this missionary is speaking of. And yet we hear, hear often that it doesn't need to be that way, that God wants to work and God wants to do amazing things. But we, we're living in a world where, unfortunately, American Christianity is is actually backwards of the way it's supposed to be. What I've just read, that's not what we see in the book of Acts. It's not at all how it's supposed to be. We're very much like the church there in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17 when Jesus speaks and says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Must not be talking to college students. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now that really is a pretty startling description. Here we have a church that thinks everything's going great. We've got everything we need. I mean, listen, we're rich. We've we got a beautiful building. We, 
we're, we're, we're encouraged in, with one another. We've got good fellowship going on here and totally missing the fact that they've, they've got nothing. He says that they're poor and blind and miserable and naked and wretched. What a description. You see, it's easy for us to think, even here as students at BCM, I'm doing pretty good. Hey, I'm at BCM. This is the place to be. I'm, I'm involved with the things that are going on. I'm going out so and We've got good things going on here. But yet we can actually have a backwards view of what God really wants in our life. And here in John chapter 12, I'd like to look at a couple of verses just before uh, verse 24 that we read. Look at verse number 20. And this is the context in which verse 24 comes. It says, And there were certain Greeks among them, among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Can I stop for just a moment and say that there are still people who desire to see Jesus? Um, as you go home, there's people in your hometown that still desire to see Jesus. Milwaukee, Menominee Falls, this isn't like an easier field than your field at home. And if this was happening in Jesus' day, it surely is happening today. And Philip comes and tells Andrew, and again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus, and Jesus answered them saying, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. The hour is come. What was Jesus saying? Here these Greeks are coming to see him. Uh, these are not Jews. These are, these are Greek proselytes who are coming, people who have come and they're worshiping there, but they're, as far as we can tell, they're Gentiles. And they're coming now and they're saying, we, we want to see Jesus, and Jesus had been focusing on the Jews, but now at this moment when they come and they make this request to say, can we see Jesus? Jesus says, it's time. It's time. The hour is come. The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. It's time now that, that the nations, that the, that the nations might experience Jesus. It's time for God to be glorified by the salvation of the nations. That's what Jesus came to do. And here in his reply, then verse 24, he's giving a prediction of his death, what he's going to do. But in so doing, he gives us a crucial life principle for fruitful followers of Jesus. But it's unfortunately not what you and I would maybe expect to hear. It's a little bit backwards from what we might think. As you see, the pathway to Jesus receiving the glory that it is now time for him to receive, the pathway to much fruit is the complete opposite of what we would naturally expect, what we would want it to be from a human perspective. It's totally backwards from the way that most Christians here in America think of Christianity. But it's absolutely essential. If we're going to reach this world and glorify the Savior who sits on the throne, you see, the key to a life of eternal fruit is death. The key to a life of eternal fruit is death. Now, we've heard that before. You've heard John chapter 12 before. Can you do me a favor? Just forget that, that you've heard it before. 
Let's, let's take a moment and try to step back and look at this verse like we've never seen this before. And I know that's hard to do because we have seen it before. But let's ask God to help open our eyes to what, what is Jesus saying here? What is this, this life principle that the key to a life of eternal fruit is death? I want you to notice, first of all, that your life has incredible potential. Your life has incredible potential. Look at the end of verse number 24. It says, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. You see here we're talking the, the, the picture of a, of a seed of wheat, a corn of wheat. And that, that single seed has multiplication potential. The potential for much fruit, multiplication potential. You see a single seed produces far more than just one other seed, right? When we're talking about wheat and this is what I found as I was looking into this, that one kernel of wheat produces approximately 50 kernels of wheat. And each of those kernels, if planted, can produce 50 more, which translates into thousands. And those thousands of kernels produce hundreds of thousands. And by the fourth generation, just four generations of planting that seed, you would have over six million kernels of wheat, all from one. Wow. That's huge. That's multiplication potential. And can I tell you this morning, some of you say, okay, Mr. Mueller, you, we've talked about this before, we've heard this many times, but I just don't think that I necessarily have what it takes to be a multiplier. Anyone, anyone can multiply. It doesn't matter what your personality is. It doesn't matter what your skill set is. It doesn't matter what your gifting is. It doesn't matter what your weakness is. We all have the same potential to multiply. We have multiplication potential within us because it's not us that multiplies. You see, your life has the potential to multiply to incredible proportions. You can reach people who will reach people who will reach people. You can. God says it. You see, there's a multiplication potential, but not only multiplication potential, we see that there is a divine potential within you. You see, just as within the shell of that seed, of that little piece of wheat, there is a, a dynamic of life that springs forth. Something that scientists, in fact, they can't explain, but when that seed is put in the ground, then it brings forth life. And we, we can't figure that out. Where, where does that come from? It's something God placed inside of a seed. But can I tell you something? You have within you divine potential. Something placed there by God. You say, I can't multiply. Yes, you can because he lives in you. The Holy Spirit who manifests the person of Jesus in our life He's the one that brings forth the fruit, the fruit. So that means that you and I do not have to live a purely human life. Can I ask you this morning, is your life right now explainable without God? Or are there things in your life that there is no way to explain it except for God must be doing something? There's something divine happening in that person's life. See, that's what God intends because 
because we have divine potential living within us. But not only divine potential, not only multiplication potential, and eternal potential. Look at the end of verse number 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. So there is something God wants to do in our life that is eternal. He wants your life to make something that lasts forever, not something that passes away. And it's easy, I know, you're students at college, I've been in your shoes. It's easy to get caught up in the here and now of what has to, this stuff to happen, got to get this done and these papers got to finish up, got to make sure I got degree focus stuff done and got to get this done and exams coming up and a paper and got this hanging over my head from the last block that I didn't get finished on time and whatever it is. And we can get caught up in those things, but listen, Jesus wants our life to have something going on that's eternal, that's going to last, truly last forever. That's fruit that you can take with you. So that when you stand before Jesus, you can stand as a servant of God surrounded by the fruit that he produced through your life. Not alone, but with much fruit. It doesn't matter who you are. We all have this same potential, the potential to multiply. God himself within us to do something eternal. And the realization of that potential, which is, which is encouraging to me. I mean, this is what God wants to do. And sometimes I feel, I feel defeated in the ministry I know God wants to be doing. I feel like, man, I just, I'm not. And I, I can get my eyes on myself and start thinking, oh, this is, I just. But when I get my eyes back on this reality, that encourages me to say, oh, God, all right, I'm going to believe you. And it brings me to the next point here, because, see, this is not, we have an incredible potential for eternal fruit that glorifies Jesus, that multiplies, but it's not an automatic thing. You see, that potential, point number two, must be unlocked. That potential must be unlocked. I want you to notice one little word. In verse 24, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, what's the next word? Accept. Accept. You see, this word shows us that there's something that has to happen in order for this potential to become reality. Something has to be unlocked. But you know that accept that's a decision. That's a point of decision. And you can refuse to pay the price to unlock that potential. You can refuse to pay that price. You can say, I, that's a little bit further than I want to go. See, what if this seed doesn't want to go through what it takes to bring forth fruit? What if the seed just says, well, I'm... I'm pretty happy right now. This is a pretty good life. I mean, I get to sit here with a lot of other seeds in chapel, and we just have our, our chapel together, and that's, that's comfortable. I get to enjoy friendship with other seeds right here. This is good. I like that. And we can feel comfortable in our present life. 
And what if that seed says, well, I'm just going to be the best seed that I can be. I'm just going to go on with life and just, I want to be, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to do all I can to, to polish up this seed, to make myself, I'm going to be the best seed ever. I'm going to win the best seed of the year award. And we're going to have the best seed fellowship. Whatever, okay, the best seed ever. Well, what's going to happen with that seed? It's, yeah, it's going to go on with life like it has it. Because, see, there's a cost to bringing forth fruit. And if God's going to be glorified by much fruit in our life, you've got to be willing to pay that cost. And here's the cost. This is what we see here in John, 20, uh, John chapter 12. And this is, this is the point I, I'm most burdened about this morning and what I'm most burdened about in my own life. Because you know what the cost is? You know what it's going to cost that seed if he's going to access the potential that's within him? You know what he has to do? He has to stop trying to hold on to his life as a seed. And I think the reason that we as American Christians as a whole are not accessing this potential is because we've gotten caught up in something called self-preservation. And here at Baptist College of Ministry, we can get caught up in self-preservation. As we think about going home for the summer, it'll be easy to get in the mentality of self-preservation. And so we won't win souls. We won't disciple people. Because if you're going to do those things, if you're going to be what God, bring forth the fruit God wants to bring forth in your life, you can't be preserving your own self. You can't be holding on to who you are. This is what we see in verse 25 there. It says, he that loveth his life. This isn't just talking about someone who, like, I want to stay alive. This is someone who loves my life. I like my life the way it is this way. I'm comfortable with my life the way it is this way. This is my life. And I love that life. I'm preserving that life. I'm going to protect that life. See, it's natural for all of us. It's natural for us to just hold on to ourself and who we are. That's, well, it's me, so of course I'm going to protect me. I'm going to hold on to me. And so we preserve ourselves. Perhaps it's preserving my image, the way that I'm perceived by people. There's things I don't do that I know God wants me to do this, but if I do that, I'm going to just be seen as a little bit weird. Ever met one of those weird Jesus people? I don't want to be like that. That's a little bit too over the top. That's a little too extreme. Some of you are going to go home and you've got families that Frankly, God's done some work in your heart and led you to some steps in your personal walk that maybe they're not quite there. And if you go home and you actually live there the way that you lived at BCM, you know they'd think, okay, you're going a little over the top here. And so you're caught in this, I'm going to preserve my image. I don't, I don't 
know if I want to do that. I mean, if I go soul winning a couple times a week like I've been doing here at BCM, which is great, oh, that's going to be seen as a little bit extreme in my church. I mean, people don't, I mean, going soul winning one time a week would be extreme. We hold on to our image. I, I want to be perceived a certain way. Perhaps it's a preservation of my comfort. This is where I'm at a lot of times. I don't want to do anything that makes me feel awkward, feel out of place. Anything that's not just comfortable, like if it's going to be just a little bit kind of out of that comfort zone, I'm not sure about that. The Holy Spirit says, you need to go talk to this person. I just, you know, they're talking with somebody else right now. Uh, they don't look like they'd really be receptive. They're, they're busy. They're on their way. And, uh, and we get caught up in this, well, I just got to stay comfortable so I'm perceived right. I've got to hold on to my, my comfort. Can I just say this? Um, if we're going to disciple people, if we're going to win people to Jesus, it's not going to be comfortable. The times in my life when I've, when I've really been investing in people's life and experienced the reality of what it means to, to make disciples, those have been uncomfortable times. Because people's lives are there's things that you're going to have to get in there and get dirty with. You can't make disciples if you're not willing to get your hands dirty, if you're not willing to get uncomfortable. But that's a step that we have to be willing to say, okay, it's, this is going to disrupt my comfort. Perhaps we want to preserve our schedule. I'm too busy doing really important things. I'm working to make money for college so I can go back next semester. So I've got to get in all these hours, and I know that means I don't have time to do these things that I should be doing, but, but I'm doing really important things. How many know Dr. Tom Johnson? Okay, good, yeah. He was here recently, so we all know of him at least. Um, the first time I met Dr. Johnson, he came down to my church when I was in high school, and needed some help with this PowerPoint presentation or something. And so he came, and that was, that was an experience of a lifetime. I had never met him before, never heard of him before. And uh, so he comes, and, and we're trying to work, he's trying to explain it, and then he just stops and starts telling me about what God's doing, about this person, and he led to the Lord. And said, we just need to pray about that. And we just started praying. And uh, it was supposed to take like five minutes to fix this thing in this PowerPoint presentation. It was about 45 um, and I kind of walked away and said, this guy is really interesting. But there was something about it that said, this guy's got something. He's telling me about these people that he led to the Lord, uh, you know, just in the last 24 hours. You know what, Dr. Tom has something that, uh, that I need in my life. He's not worried about preserving his schedule. Now, sometimes that has its challenges to it because sometimes that affects other people, and I understand. There's been times when Dr. Tom's come in a few minutes late because he was leading some of the Lord. And uh, again, within, within balance, we've got to understand, but he's more concerned about souls than he is about maintaining his schedule. I've got to be at this place right now. Now again, that doesn't mean we throw the schedule out the window. 
but are you more concerned about my, what I have to do right now than you are about what God wants you to do, than you are about the opportunities that are around you? See, we can hold on to our schedule. We've got so much to do. We can hold on so tightly to my schedule that we, we actually miss the opportunities that are right in front of us. I'm busy doing these things. I've just got to run in the store really quick and grab something here. I don't have a lot of time. And so I told him, yeah, I don't even think about having a conversation with this person. Or I'm going through the self-checkout because I can do that a lot faster and I don't have to talk to anybody. Preserving self. My agenda. How about my lifestyle? Preserving my lifestyle. I, this is the way that I... I want to live. I have a certain standard of living I have to maintain. If I was going to give what God wanted me to give, I couldn't get that new iPhone. If I was going to really get down and really minister to these people that their lives are a wreck, that means I'm going to have to kind of, my clothes are going to smell like smoke. And I'm going to, those are real things. And we've we got to hold on to that lifestyle. We live in a world that it really is, and it's, it's affected our thinking as American people. Well, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Pursuing that American dream. Can I tell you, that doesn't really mesh with being a follower of Jesus. It really doesn't. I mean, we could retranslate it and say, well, real life and real, real liberty in Christ and, and the pursuit of genuine happiness through a relationship with Jesus and bringing forth fruit, we could, but the American concept of that, it doesn't work. And because we've let that impose on our thinking, we've developed something that we could call casual Christianity. Well, yeah, I love the Lord. I try to read my Bible. I go to church. But the expectation of anything beyond that is of actually my life touching someone else's life is, oh, that's, uh, that's extreme. And that's the whole point. But I, I can't hold on to my lifestyle necessarily if I'm going to really do what God wants me to do. I bought a house a couple of years ago, and, uh, and frankly, this has been something I've had to, had to wrestle with, because there's something in my mind that says, oh, I want to do these things on the house, and man, I, I, I can, I'm not quite Pastor Schultz on my visions for things, um, but I can get big visions for things like, oh man, what if I took down the garage and attached it to the garage, to the house here, and we could put a second floor up there and all these things. You know, I, I, can, I can get into that really fast. Oh, let's change this. I want to redo this. I want to, I can get caught up really fast in making my life a little bit better. And you say, oh, well, what? When you've got a family, you want to take care of them. That's kind of, it's easy to get there. And again, I, I hope I'm taking care of my family okay in our current situation, but that's, we just want to make it a little bit better, a little bit nicer, a little bit 
when really we've got everything we need. But it's so easy to get caught up in preserving that lifestyle, making my life a little bit more comfortable, making my life a little bit, a little bit better. And I end up spending all my time there instead of doing what God has me here to do. We can't leave this idea of self-preservation without talking about not just preserving my, my comfort or my schedule or my lifestyle, but preserving my very life. I might get hurt if I do what you're telling me to do, God. I mean, I might even die if I do that. This is a little bit scary. And we can get overcome by fear because we're preserving me. I've got to make sure that I don't get hurt in any way. I don't get touched in any way. I've got to preserve this life. He says, we're going to do that. If we preserve our life, we're loving my life. And it says here in verse 25 that we'll lose it, in fact. You see, what's the result? If I... If I live that life in that exception, I don't take that choice to, to make that decision of accept, we see there. If I refuse to pay the price, what's the result? It says, accept a corn of wheat fallen to the ground and die. It abideth alone. It abideth alone. Fruitless. Just you as a little seed. Could I put it this way? If you live your life for you, then you are all that you have. If you live your life for you, then you are all that you have. You will have nothing to show when you stand before Jesus. You'll have nothing to give him when you stand before him. If you were to come today, and we were all taken away, what would you have to show for your life? Because you will stand before him one day. And it could be today. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. What fruit do you have to lay before him? Or will you abide alone? No fruit. Not accessing the incredible potential that he gave you as his follower. Will you abide alone? Are you willing to pay the price to access that potential? Or are you wanting to be one of those who names the name of Christ, says the right things perhaps, but is unwilling to pay the price to bring forth fruit? Because the key to unlocking that potential is death. So you have incredible potential. And that potential has to be unlocked. It has to be realized. And the only way that's going to happen is if you unlock that potential through death. Notice there, accept a corn of wheat, fall into the ground, and die. You see, if the potential life that God placed into that seed is going to be 
released, to be unlocked, to be set free, to become what it's supposed to become. There's only one way to do it. That seed has to be buried in the dirt where it will start to decay and literally die. That's not comfortable. I don't think that's pleasant if seeds could have emotions. It's not happy, necessarily. But can I tell you that in that moment of death, of decay, buried in the dirt, life springs forth. Not until that moment does life happen. This is, we use the term death to self. Notice the contrasting statement here, the ex, I think really explanation of what Jesus is talking about in verse 24. As we see 25 there, it says, He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. See, what does it mean to die to self? Well, if loving myself is holding on to my life, to my comforts, to my, my dreams, to my lifestyle, to my very life, if that's loving my life, then hating my life is letting it go. It's setting it aside, saying, I don't want my life. I'm dying to my life. I don't need that anymore. I don't need my comfort. I don't need my ambitions. I don't need my lifestyle. I don't need my you fill in the blank. I'm going to take my life, my dreams, my goals, my ambitions, my desires, and I'm going to cast them aside to accomplish the will of Jesus. I'm even willing to die physically if that's what it means to bring forth fruit for Jesus. It really comes down to it. Truthfully, don't we love ourselves too much? You know why we struggle with pride? Because we love ourselves. You know why we struggle with selfishness? Well, we love ourselves. Why don't we want to get our hands dirty in people's lives? Because we love ourselves. And today Jesus is saying, listen, you have incredible potential. I want you to bring forth much fruit. That's what I made you to do. And all you have to be willing to do is say, all right. Jesus, you said, if I would let go of my life, cast my life upon you, if I'd be willing to die, I'm in a position where my life can access that potential and bring forth much fruit. It's what God wants to do. Aren't you glad that Jesus was willing to let go of his life for you? So that you can experience life today? You know, your salvation, the fact that you're sitting here today on your way to heaven, experiencing a relationship with him, is the direct result of the fact that he was willing to die for you. And today he wants his life 
to be multiplied through your death, which will bring forth fruit for him. So we were all challenged, I think, last semester with the passing of Charles Wesco, someone who gave his life. He wasn't holding on to his life. That, that was the testimony of his life, is that he was willing to die. And it indeed happened. And we don't know all the fruit. We haven't seen yet all the fruit that his life will bring forth. But you know what? I, I'm expecting much fruit. You know why? Because that's what he said. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Truly, truly, it's not comfortable to talk about this. It's not comfortable to talk about not holding on to my life, to not preserving myself, but it's the truth. doesn't matter what we think about it. That's what he said. Verily, verily, it's the truth. There's no other alternative this morning. Today, the Lord Jesus is confronting with truth that we need to embrace. And here in this passage, we find two realities that are in the present tense. Remaining alone and bearing much fruit. Which one describes your life today? You see, the key to a life of eternal fruit is death. If I want to hold on to really have a life that's living, I have to die. Kind of backwards, isn't it? It's time to get turned around. Align ourselves with what really is truth. You see, self-preservation robs Jesus of the glory he deserves. So are you willing to die to your own life? It's time for us to deal with our obsession with me and embrace death. See, if we honestly look at the way we live our lives and the way we spend our time, the way that we think, we probably are going to have to conclude that we love ourselves far more than we love Jesus. I love my life far more than his life. I'm concerned more with protecting me than producing his fruit. I'll close with this. In 1980, a native believer of the country of Rwanda was forced by his tribe to either renounce Christ or die. He refused to renounce Christ and was killed on the spot. That night before he died, knowing what was likely coming, he had written the following commitment on a sheet of paper later found in his room. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense and my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, chintzy giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I now live by presence, lean by faith, love by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. My pace is set, my gaze is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions few, 
my guide reliable, my mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of, of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until heaven returns, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. One final question. What would happen in this area around us over the next four weeks? What would happen in your town, in your church, in your family, if the people in this room were that kind of Christian, one who is willing to die? Let's pray.